This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. Hello, hello. Happy Monday. This is Let's Go There on Channel Q where we talk about the news of the day, pop culture, our lives, so much more with fun music in between on Channel Q. I'm Shira and typically Ryan joins me here, yes, but we have a queen. villain that is not Ryan. <laughs> that is Dr. James Simmons. Hello. hello Welcome hello, hello. back. Thank you very much. So uh, happy to be We here. appreciate having you here. Uh, he will be filling in for Ryan today and tomorrow. And he is fabulous, and he's a doctor. We've oh got a doctor gosh. in the house. We have a doctor in the house. I got, I always have to clarify with folks because people always wonder this. So I'm a doctor nurse. So I and I'm very proud of this. So I I am a nurse and a nurse practitioner with a doctorate. So yes, I am Dr. James Simmons. I am a doctor, but I am a nurse because I'm proud of that. I'm have, super happy to be a nurse. I'm proud to be a nurse. Yes, girl, you've done the work. Done the work, and this is where this is where like it kind of all started. Shira, like two years ago or whatever, you guys had me on the very first time to talk about, I don't know what, I think sexual health or something. Something sex-related. I mean, maybe because that's what we do. You know, it's fun. We love talking about that on the show. Well, welcome, and I'm so excited to have you here. We appreciate you for taking your time because you've been working since like 6 (laughs) a.m. I am, but I am so happy to be here. I'm very excited about this and I'm happy to uh, fill in Ryan's beautiful, lovely, wonderful, petite shoes, petite shoes. Yes. Well, coming up on the show, what Biden is doing to protect trans individuals in homeless shelters uh, with Lambda Legal. They are joining us for that. And we're celebrating Lesbian Day of Visibility today at 325 p.m. Pacific, 625 p.m. Eastern. So stick around for that. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President Joe Biden became the first U.S. president to officially recognize the massacre of Armenians under the Ottoman Empire as a genocide. This was huge. This happened over the weekend. In a statement marking the 106th anniversary of the massacre's start, Biden wrote, Each year on this day, we remember the lives of all those who died in the Ottoman-era Armenian genocide and recommit ourselves to preventing an atrocity like that from ever again occurring. And this fulfills his campaign pledge to finally use the word genocide to describe the systematic killing and deportation of Armenians in what is now Turkey more than a century ago. And I have uh, some Armenian friends who it was a very important moment uh, when he said that. Absolutely. You know, the, I, the key here for those of you who maybe so sort of don't understand is that word genocide, right? Yeah. Lots of other presidents have acknowledged that things these this happened, that these atrocities happened, but they never use the word genocide. And 
Biden promised this in his uh, campaign and actually delivered on that. And it's very, very interesting because this is politically a little bit dangerous with Erdogan uh, still in charge in Turkey, who is not necessarily a fan of the United States. So uh, Joe Biden delivered on that political promise, but also took a risk in doing so. Well, you need to take a risk to make a difference. Yep, very That's true. For sure. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Dr. James, what's, what's the T report? Like? I love it that I, Dr. James Simmons gets to oh, do the T report. James? Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, James is fine. Oh my gosh, do not get caught up in the doctor thing. Okay, so I don't know, Shira, you watch the Oscars, Vanessa? I watched bits of it. You know, yeah. I downloaded, I paid, and I needed to stop my subscription to one of those digital online apps to watch uh-huh. it live. Did you really? Oh, okay, I, th- I thought it was really great. So you they did? promised. You were one of the only I, ones. I know, I, I was like one of the only people who watched it. But I, I really thought this was fantastic, and they were like, we're going to do something really really cool and unique and different. And, and it was okay. Well, what was great about it were those viral, awkward moments. Oh, yeah. They were fantastic. The best one came from Daniel Kaluuya, who you guys remember from Get Out. He actually ended up winning Best Supporting Actor. And here is what he had to say. Like, it's incredible. My mom met my dad. They had sex. It's amazing. Like, do you understand? I'm here. You know what I mean? So I'm so happy to be alive. So, uh, yeah, how that about was, that? That was funny. I saw his mom's face, and she's like, what did he just say? First, she's crying. She goes from crying and excited to like, please don't embarrass me, son, up there. And then he goes and embarrasses her. So that was just one. We have uh, multiple. There were several viral moments. Very, very good stuff from the Oscars coming up in the next hour. Love it. Okay, well, the upcoming Supreme Court hearing on carrying weapons outside the home is coming up. The Washington Post joins us to share more about this huge case next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A major new gun control case will be heard next term by the Supreme Court. It was brought on by the National Rifle Association asking the court to declare there is a constitutional right to carry a weapon outside the home. Joining us to share more is Mark Fisher, Washington Post senior editor. Thanks again for being here. Good to be with you, Shira. So tell us more about this case. Well, this is a case where uh, the Supreme Court is being asked to rule on uh, one of the core issues about guns in America, which is, should you be allowed to carry a concealed gun outside your home? It's pretty clear at this point from court decisions over the years that you're allowed to defend your home. You're allowed to have a weapon inside your house. But what's the rule regarding when you have a concealed weapon outside the house? It varies from state to state. There are some states that have tried to really restrict people and force them to have a license in order to do that, force them to have a reason, some some uh, good, founded, well-founded fear uh, that they're under a threat in some way. And other states have just said it's fine for everybody. Well, this is something for the Supreme Court to resolve. Now that the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, has decided to take this issue to the Supreme Court, which is a bit of a surprise because she would be on the uh, side of gun regulation, and this much more conservative Supreme Court is much more likely now uh, to say that uh, those regulations on use of guns uh, outside is, is, is not okay under the Constitution. And I, I, hi, Mark. This is James. Nice to meet you. Uh, thanks for being on with us. You know, I think it's really interesting that this, the timing of this does seem to be really important, as you just mentioned, um, because being on the side of, of more gun red, uh, regulation, but then also now having this much more conservative court at this time. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us why this is important and, and sort of how you think this might play out with the timing of this case. 
Well, the timing, uh, given the uh, the introduction of all three of Donald Trump's appointees to uh, the Supreme Court, uh, you have Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Comey Barrett, uh, the two newest members of the court who are uh, judging by their previous rulings in gun cases. They are very sympathetic to the idea uh, that we have too many regulations of, of guns in this country and that people should be allowed to uh, walk around outside with concealed weapons. Uh, and that there's no constitutional way to restrict that. So, it, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion. We'll have to see how the case shakes out. Certainly in the lower courts, the judges were much more open to the idea of regulation. And, of course, it was the very conservative Antonin Scalia, the Supreme Court justice who died a couple of years ago, uh, who in the last big ruling on guns said, yes, the Constitution protects you. You have a right to carry a gun, but every state and locality in the country also has the right to regulate those guns. And that uh, just because it's in the Constitution, you have the right to own it doesn't mean you can do anything you want to with it. So there are there is a conservative uh, back background and line of cases uh, that would support some tougher regulation if the justices want to go that way. Yeah, but it's still worry, worrisome. I think probably according to some Democratic lawmakers that this is being brought to the Supreme Court because it could be a game changer for federal law. Absolutely. And it's kind of astonishing that a a very liberal uh, New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, would uh, decide to take this uh, appeal it to the Supreme Court. A lot of uh, advocates of gun regulation have been trying to avoid taking these cases to the Supreme Court because they expect that there will be a very conservative pro-gun decision. Uh, So it's it's a strange decision. There are, of course, uh, people, uh, lawyers who say that uh, you've got to follow these cases all the way through no matter what, and then that you can't go judge shopping and you have to uh, try to get uh, the ultimate ruling from the ultimate court. Uh, but um, in a six to three conservative majority where you know that some of the newcomers are very sympathetic to getting rid of regulations of guns, uh, this is going to be an interesting case to follow. I think interesting indeed, Mark, and, uh, you know, particularly in the setting of, you know, we continue to talk about these never ending series of shootings going on in in public places, shootings by law enforcement, which we know is sort of a a categorically different situation. But what do you think the temperature is not only uh, obviously of the Supreme Court right now, but but just of Americans watching this case right now in terms of feeling how how they're going to feel about this case going through the Supreme Court and what the potential decision might be? Well, I think uh, perhaps unfortunately, most people don't really follow the Supreme Court closely and, and uh, uh, don't. Uh, I think we see in election after election, people don't necessarily draw a clear line between their voting choices and uh, who uh, the people they vote for are going to nominate to the, the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, you know, I think the, the polling on gun issues is very clear. There are very strong majorities, unusually strong majorities, that have uh, come together in recent years for stricter gun regulation, for banning assault weapons, for uh, getting rid of the loopholes uh, that allow people to buy guns at gun shows and that sort of thing. So uh, despite that, we see a much more conservative uh, set of judges, uh, certainly uh, that uh, President Trump nominated and got, got onto courts across the country. And so those those two facts are at odds with each other and what public opinion wants and what, uh, the, what the people we've elected to to bring about uh, judges who are very pro-gun. Those are two very different directions and the country is going in both those directions at the same time. Uh, well, thanks again for being here for this. We appreciate it. 
Sure. That was Mark Fisher, Washington Post senior editor. Coming up on the show, how the Biden administration is making sure that shelters don't discriminate against transgender people. Yes. That is next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Housing Secretary Marsha L. Fudge announced the withdrawal of a Trump-era proposal that allowed federally funded homeless shelters to exclude transgender people by accommodating only people whose sex assigned at birth matches those served by single-sex homeless shelters. Sasha Booker joins us right now, Lambda Legal Senior Attorney and Co-Director of Lambda Legal's Transgender Rights Project. Thanks for joining us for this because this is such a, a big moment and decision. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on your program. It was really great. It was really wonderful to see that announcement that they were pulling that uh, awful rule. Yeah. You know, really dangerous. Well, how big of a deal is this? I know that Lambda Legal did make an announcement and applauded HUD for this withdrawal. Yeah, it's huge. You know, it's so important. You know, know, they they were on zero, no uh, standing, legal standing whatsoever for issuing this kind of rule. And I'm sure Land Legal, as well as many other organizations, would have stepped forward to to stop it in its tracks if it had moved forward. Uh, it had no legal standing, as I said. But you know, but the but the problem is the message that it sends, you know, to to transgender people and and to shelter providers that you know they're free to discriminate, you know, which is completely wrong. <laughs> and uh, you know, so this sends a really uh, nice message and a clear message that that trans folks are protected under the Fair Housing Act and under the Equal Access Rule uh, at HUD, and that they cannot be denied unlawfully from obtaining shelter consistent with their gender identity. We know that, you know, trans folks, folks experience, especially youth and trans people of color experience really high rates of homelessness and, uh, you know, you know, forcing people to, to be turned away and, and, you know, the most desperate points in their life is just heartless and, you know, part and parcel of the Trump administration's policy views and, uh, um, in my view. Can you, Sasha, just put into context for us a little bit in terms of, so this is on a, on a federal level, right, uh, and uh, equal housing, but on states' levels, there's so much legislation going on right now trying very, very difficult, uh, you're trying really hard to take away rights from transgender individuals, particularly youth, it seems. And this seems like a, a great win, but also maybe small in the context of everything go- that's going on on a state level. Yeah, I mean, that's true. You know, to put this in perspective, you know, the, the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration has been really, um, uh, really great on LGBTQ issues and especially trans issues, you know, you know eliminating the military ban and implementing the Bostock decision from last summer and just, uh, you know, a lot of really great work that's being, ha- that's happening on the federal front. But yeah, this, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, that we've, we've seen state after state, there's, there's 31 states now have introduced, you know, hundreds of uh, bills targeting transgender youth. You know, a lot of them are focused on denying them uh, health care. A lot of them are trying to pre- uh, prevent them from participating in sports. You know, I think we have four or five bills that have actually passed now, uh, you know, that I'm sure we'll see litigation uh, soon responding to many of them. And uh, yeah, it's just a, you know, you know, they're, they're unlawful again, just like the HUD rule, the shelter rule. Uh, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, that until this is litigated and, and, and resol- finally resolved, it's going to have, you know, a, 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 an unfortunate impact on, on trans youth and trans people in general. Uh, but we're confident that, the, you know, if you look at the Bostock decision and all the lower court decisions that, you know, the courts have, have uh, put forward over the last few years, we're confident that will prevail in the end. But it is going to cause a lot of harm and, and very disappointed to see all the attacks on transgender youth. Yep. Um what do you have to say to those who are trans and unhoused? 
uh, I say that, you know, look, you have you are protected under the law. You are protected under state law in, in almost every case. Uh, you're, you're protected under local law. And, in, and HUD may, has made it clear that you're protected under federal law. And uh, you, you should not be turned away from uh, a shelter uh, consistent with your gender identity. In other words, if you're a transgender woman, you cannot be turned away from a shelter that, that treats women. It's a, it's a sex segregated space that treats women. And if you are turned away, you should file a complaint. You know, I'm, I'm encouraging, you know, the state and local and federal levels to go forward with enforcement to make sure that there's testing that happens and, and that there's some, you know, uh, it's one thing to have those protections. It's another thing to experience them. But I think the thing I would say to them is that, you know, it's very clear both to them and to the providers of shelter who will be facing, you know, extreme liability if they turn away people. But this, the message I would send to them is that you are protected in the law. You, you, sh- you should not be turned away. And if you are, please file a complaint with the Housing and Urban Development Agency. But more importantly, call Land Illegal or call the ACLU or call whatever sister organizations that, that does litigation because you should not be turned away. That's excellent. I actually was going to ask you what what is what are some of those next steps that individuals should should face, particularly in the setting of you know you're you're experiencing houselessness and there's probably lots of things going on in your life and then you go to a shelter and then all of a sudden you're turned away because someone maybe at a local level doesn't understand that this has been reversed. Now, what what specifically can folks do if that happens to them? Yeah, you know, and this is the case that you know they've done surveys before in the last few years. Uh, you know, that have shown even where there are you know state level protections, even for the federal clarification, the people are still turned away because providers don't understand what they're doing and they don't understand their obligations under the law. Uh, so the, so the action steps that you know um, I would encourage people, and this is difficult, you know, because you know a lot of people, as you just said, are in in desperate situations. You know, they don't have the resources or the capacity to to contact a lawyer or to, to understand how to navigate these situations. But Lambda Legal has a help desk and people should feel free to contact us and let us know if you're being denied uh, shelter or, or housing or contact, you know, other uh, organizations like the ACLU or the National Center for Lesbian Rights. A lot of these organizations work on these kinds of issues. So, you know, feel free to contact them. Make a complaint with the Housing and Urban Development Agency. They've got a if you just go to their website, they can they can help you. I think that's really important for people to know is that you can file a complaint with them and then you can contact us and we'll step in and help you. But it's also important that the agency and state and local and, and federal agencies also monitor this to, to see how they're doing uh, and to, to look at look at look at the effectiveness of, of these rules on the back end to make sure that uh, people understand that they are protected and that shelters understand their obligations under the law. Definitely. Well, that was Sasha Bookert, Lambda Legal Senior Attorney, co-director of Lambda Legal's Transgender Rights Project. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. Coming up, why conservatives are calling out Nickelodeon for environmental racism and what that even means. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Nickelodeon is getting slimed. <laughs> very good. Uh, very online good. by conservatives <laughs> over a recent Earth Day special discussing how pollution disproportionately affects communities of color, which it does. But here's a clip of that. Black snow, the thick soot that pollutes Pahokee, Florida. There's Cancer Alley, which is an area along the Mississippi River in Louisiana that's lined with oil refineries and air so toxic in New York South Bronx that 20 percent of children have asthma. What do these cities have in common? 
They're all examples of environmental racism, a form of systemic racism, where minority and low-income communities are surrounded by health hazards because they live near sewage, mines, landfills, power stations, major roads. So here's the thing. Mm. This is great information. Not necessarily for like a kid's network, meaning... Educate kids about this, but not with a, and no offense, because I'm 37, 38, not with like a late 30s, 40s woman, white woman talking about (laughs) systemic racism. There are so many amazing kids that are on the front lines and like teens of climate justice who are also people of color. And it's like, or part of the BIPOC community. It's like, why get an old white broadcaster to do it? I'm not, I'm not against talking about uh, environmental Environmental racism, which is real. Good. And she was she was very like CBS anchor. But like, she is. I think I'm they Nora, did it with CBS whatever. News because CBS yeah. News and Viacom. They're they're um, like all together. All Listen, I think this is great, but I also think what's really interesting is the people that are reacting to this is moms.com, The Blaze, Outkick, The Washington oh, yeah. Examiner. Like I you kind of know where I'm going with this. And so people are like, why don't we just leave it back to the kids watching Rugrats and Pete and Pete? And they list go on and they're like they're like, I miss all the old days. And all of these cartoons were white kids yeah just doing kid things and like when you're talking about 20 percent of kids that live in the south bronx have asthma this is an issue that impacts kids like i actually think this is something you can talk about but agreed like let's not have the old white lady anchor on to do it yeah exactly so of course the rights were all annoyed because just like that guy who wrote that op-ed in the florida newspaper about how disney isn't gonna get his money anymore because of all these changes they're making and how they're politically inclined and you're like no just because they're listening to people who've been system Automatically uh, oppressed, right. and they're actually trying to make a <laughs> right. change. Sorry if you don't feel impacted by that, or that's helpful to you. And I love how people are like, "There, my kids are never going to watch Nickelodeon again." Well, there goes the last time my kids watch Nickelodeon. I, I I'm not actually uh, sure where that comes from. Like. There's opportunities. Your kids have been learning from Sesame Street, regardless of what side of the political aisle you're on, forever. If if anything, Nickelodeon needs to be uh, looking at Sesame Street. Because if you're going to try to do something like this that is serious and important, do it properly. Yeah. Right? Uh, Because the one thing I would be dragging them around is what we said. I'm very critical (laughs) as a producer. I'm like, this is not the right way to execute. F the people that think that, oh, you're ruining kids' lives by informing them about something important. Well, most importantly, you just bored the kids to death, right? Is that what you're saying, That's Shira? the thing. It's like, that's what <laughs> I'm annoying it's Nickelodeon, about. like, keep my attention. Hey, Have some characters. Get your animators involved. Something. Do something. <laughs> All right. The kids are unfortunately checking out of this one. Let us know what you think. Do you think Nickelodeon went too far? Are they, uh, you know... Are are they not doing this one for your kids? Are they ruining your kids' entertainment? At LGT Show (laughs) is where you can find us on social media. Coming up, uh, now that Caitlyn Jenner is describing her political moves and she's launched her campaign for governor, we're going to share what she recently said and how she's moving things forward. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, we are back. And again, Dr. James Simmons is here filling in for Ryan today and tomorrow. Thanks for joining us for My this. My pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. It's very exciting to see you again, Shira, in studio live. I know. We're both vaccinated, so we're feeling good. Yeah, we absolutely are feeling good. We have more about uh, vaccines and vaccinations and who might not be getting vaccines later on in the show. Oh, love that. And... I find this so fascinating, uh, gender brain differences. Like, is our brain different depending on the gender? A new study that 
uh, just came out reveals what we've all been asking about over decades. <laughs> Have we all been asking about? This comes up a lot, though, right? Women's brains are different, or men's brains are different, or trans folks' brains are maybe different than the genitalia mm-hmm. they were signed. It's a very, very interesting conversation. So some of those answers at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Governor Andrew Cuomo shared whether he would resign if Attorney General Letitia James's report into allegations against him showed misconduct on his part. Can you tell the people of the state of New York, yes or no, did you do the things you were accused of? No. No. And that's why I said uh, when, when people suggested, uh, uh, yeah, put it very simply, no. To all of you? No. The sexual harassment, that's right. Denying all of that's that. right. Yes. If, if Tish James's report comes back and finds the contrary, considering that you've said zero tolerance for sexual harassment in this state, Will you discipline yourself or consider resigning? Yeah, the report can't say anything different because I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, Hmm. there you go. He's not having a good time, Cuomo, right now. (laughs) He is not. And there are multiple, multiple people who say otherwise, that he has done things wrong. Yeah. I mean, at this point, he's either completely lying or he literally just is like, I didn't do anything wrong. He's in denial. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going to come of this. Uh, it, it, I think it's going to be really interesting. And it's, it is it is sort of interesting how it's kind of faded from the spotlight right now, but uh, that it's also still very much going on. Like, this has not been resolved. And there are people who are still, lots of people who are still accused him of these things, including improper work environments in general on top of the sexual assault allegations. Yep. Well, uh, that was what's trending this hour. Hour, more on the state of emergency that's been declared for Elizabeth City next hour on uh, what's trending in the news. But what's happening in the tea report, James? All right. I love that I get to do the tea report. This is so fun. Ryan has a great job, and I'm glad to be yes. filling in for him today and tomorrow. The tea report today. Listen, we know that Caitlyn Jenner announced last Friday, or you may not know, and you may be hearing it here for the first time on Let's Go There. Caitlyn Jenner announced last Friday that she's running for governor of California. Trying to become the latest celebrity-turned-politician. We know how that has gone in the past. Uh, Last time here as governor uh, in California, Arnold Schwarzenegger was 20 years ago. God, I can't believe it was that long ago. So, listen... I think one of the biggest issues here about what's going on with this is that people are wondering what her motivations behind doing this are. In particular, she has said things like she really supports trans rights, of course, and rights for the entire LGBTQ community, yet has hired Brad Parsale, who is a former Trump campaign advisor, who actively has worked against trans rights. So is this a political ploy? Is this just marketing? Is this for PR purposes? Like, what's actually the purpose of her doing this? Her being ignorant and just not getting it, not getting her place in all of this and the privilege in it, right? Like, she says she she obviously is trans, supports the community, but then does the uh, her actions and her words don't align. Yeah, no, they don't align at all. Um, you know, she has said in the past that she's sort of more, she's always been kind of, fiscally conservative, right? I feel like this is a thing that people get away with. Well, I'm fiscally conservative, but I'm socially more progressive. Well, as we learn, like you, those things don't necessarily really go together anymore. But this is how she's positioning herself anyway. And she's saying, quote, I want a thriving economy so we have the money to help the people who need to be helped. 
Okay, yeah, that's just that seems very vague and <laughs> idealistic. You. Of course, we want a thriving economy, but you know what? Right. As a as a conservative or Republican, a lot of times that means that you're not putting money into social services. How are you going to make it equitable for everyone? Right, and it sounds like this kind of old conversation about like trickle down economics. You know, as long as everyone at the top is making their money, oh, yeah, it'll trickle sure. down to everybody else. She did go on to say she told people this last year. Actually, she we need hardcore on the books legislation on equality for the LGBT community, for the gay community, everyone, even religious freedom in a lot of ways. So uh, very interesting, Miss Jenner. We'll have to see how this uh, run for governor plays out. We will be talking a lot about this, I'm sure. Have fun getting your conservatives on board for all that. Yeah. Uh, coming up next, we're celebrating Lesbian Visibility Day today with the co-founder of The Curve magazine. It's going to be amazing. Uh, she's incredible. Stick around for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Guess what? It's Lesbian Visibility Day. Burr, burr, burr. Yes. I feel like I need that horn or whatever. I can't Some make sort that of noise clap though. Or something. Something. That's awesome. I, okay, but can we talk about? I mean, we're going to talk about this, but why do we even have to have a lesbian, lesbian Visibility Day? Like, there's so much wrong with the fact that we need that. You know what I mean? Mm. It's why we need a Lesbian Visibility Day, because we need it. Yeah. I think every day there's something to celebrate here. Yeah. Right? I agree. <laughs> For the community. But the Curve magazine has really been at the forefront of news and editorial publishing content for the LGBTQ plus community. We have the co-founder joining us right now, Jen Rainin, also the co-founder of the Curve Foundation. Thanks for joining us on a day like today. Hi, thanks. I'm thrilled to pieces. I can't think of a better thing to do on Lesbian Visibility Day, actually. Yeah. Oh, we appreciate that. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I, it's such an honor to have you here because the Curve magazine has been around since 1991. Congratulations. How has it changed over the years? <laughs> well, I have to actually, let me clarify. Yes. I am not the founder of Curve magazine. That's my wife, Franco. Oh, well, Steven. okay. Partners in crime. Okay, got it. That's right. Um, but she and I are co-founders of the Curve Foundation, um, and I will tell you, it's, I mean, over the years, my goodness, um, the magazine has changed in a lot of ways and in some ways not at all. But most recently, um, it, it has become, I mean, oh, gosh, publishing has become such a challenging thing, I think so many people know now. Um, and the, the magazine was really struggling for the last few years. Mm-hmm. So uh, my wife, Franco, and I just recently um, reacquired the magazine. She had sold it about 10 years ago, and we've donated it to the Curve Foundation. So going forward, um, Curve will be functioning as, a, as a, an archive, as a, a, a place to hold the 30 years of articles that cover our politics, our news, our are all sorts of issues related to uh, queer women's culture. So um, it, so it's shifting now from being an active publication into being um, something that's just a, a just straight-up resource for the community that holds our history. That's really tremendous and, and kind of a fun transition, I'm sure, right, to go through like the history of everything and, and archive this. Why is that? You know, it kind of leads me to this question, Jen, about why is that so important? Like, why was it important for you and Franco to, to buy back the magazine and start to archive this and really, really, you know, dig in and, and hold in the history, uh, uh, lesbian history? Well, it started a, a couple of years ago. We, I, 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 um, I decided I wanted to make a film about my wife's story of starting the magazine because it was such a crazy story. Just to give you a little idea, 
This woman couldn't find, she was 21 years old. She was living in her car in San Francisco. She had this idea for a magazine. Nobody was going to give her any money. This is 1991. Mm-hmm. So she took out 12 credit cards in one day because this is before the internet and you could do that. She cashed them out and she went to the racetrack and she bet on the horses and she won three times what? in a row. Yeah, wow. I am not kidding. So, and that's the beginning of this insane, crazy, amazing ride that she had in creating this publication um, that served to connect lesbians uh, around the world and certainly across America um, in ways that had never happened before. Um, And it it just, it was such a great story. I thought, oh, this is going to make a wonderful movie. So I started writing a screenplay for it. And in doing the research for the screenplay for a fiction film, um, what I realized is how few queer women's stories are well-documented. Mm-hmm. I was having a hard time finding source material for a lot of things. So I realized there was an imperative for me to tell it as a nonfiction uh, film first. So I created what is now uh, my documentary film, Ahead of the Curve, which is releasing widely on June 1st, yes. which we're thrilled about. Hey, congratulations. Where, where can people find it? <laughs> Oh, well, it'll be available everywhere that you can rent or buy uh, movies online. So Apple and Amazon and Vudu and Fandango. And um, and there is an announcement coming very soon if you go to CurveMagMovie.com about where else you might be able to see it. Yeah. But I'm not allowed to give it away yet. Okay, just in time Ooh. for Pride, too, which we love. Exactly. So what, exactly. what does Lesbian Visibility Day mean to you? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know... It's really, it's, it's an amazing thing. Like it's, it's a, I hadn't even heard of this day until just a couple of years ago. Apparently it only started in 2008 and it's so, it hasn't been widely um, discussed. So, uh, you know, even my wife, who's sort of this like core lesbian figure, right? Mm -hmm. Iconic figure in the community hadn't heard of it until recently. So for us, it's this moment of like, ah, oh, this, this is a time for recognition, a time for acknowledging um, this, this group that is overlooked so, so often. Yeah, and definitely, so, yeah, it's, it's and, important. and with so many bars also, lesbian bars closing during this time, it's important I for know. the community to rally together. Uh, lesbian bars have been suffering for a long time, and I think the, the pandemic really was just a pretty pretty brutal blow i would say to the community and it's also an opportunity it's a time for us to find new ways to connect with each other and i think that's lesbian visibility day and i know in the uk they're they're promoting it now it's lesbian visibility week which i'm gonna take yeah. <laughs> um, you know <laughs> it's an opportunity for us to to build in to build more uh visibility for us to build more opportunities to come together to build more um, uh, times for us to lift up our stories, to to celebrate our culture, our unique and beautiful uh, culture for over the years and today continues to build. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Awesome. We appreciate it and hope to have you back to talk about the movie as well. <laughs> I'd love it. Thank you so much for having me. That was Jen Rainin, co-founder of The Curve Foundation. For more, go to thecurvefoundation.org. Coming up on the show, are our brains different depending on our gender? The Brain Scientist Study that reveals those answers next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Many people have historically talked about the differences between male and female brains. Like, oh... 
You have a man brain. <laughs> well, I think we use this as a crutch to explain uh-huh. like what we like a sort of very stereotypical gender totally. differences, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, a new study is proving that all these things we thought were uh, the reality or mm-hmm. were, you know, were our crutches is actually not a thing. Right. Right. I love this. We were all leaning into that, but it's not real. Okay, folks. <laughs> so get over it. Lisa Elliott joins us right now, professor of neuroscience from Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science joins us right now. Thanks for joining us for this. Good to be with you. Well, you've been doing this research for 30 years. Congratulations. That's like a big commitment. Uh, why, why were you interested in this topic? Well, let me back up. I haven't been doing the research myself for 30 years, but neuroscientists have. I've been, but I've been at this going on 20, I think. Okay, um, so. I, I, I wrote a book in 2009 called Pink Brain, Blue Brain, uh, where I was going to, uh, I was determined to explain to parents what the difference between their boys and girls were and, and how neuroscience is going to explain, you know, uh, trucks and dolls. And I ended up um, becoming really underwhelmed by the actual evidence. I mean, like many people, I figured there is a pink brain and a blue brain, but um uh, despite the intense, intense interest of both among scientists and the public, uh, we've yet to to come up with anything really definitively different between men and women's brains, except for size. Men are bigger than women, and their brains are about 11% bigger on average. Um, but as we point out, other organs in the body are also larger in men, and, and many of them more than 11%. Um, the kidney and heart and so on can be as much as 25% larger. And we don't, nobody cares about that. You don't have thousands of articles about the difference between men and women's kidneys, but you, you certainly <laughs> do about the brain. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's this, this crutch that we talked about in the beginning, Dr. Elliot, about why there's, you know, we, well, we like to lean on this. Well, women do this because of X, Y, Z in their brain and men do this because of X, Y, Z in their brain. So that 11%, though, I feel like people are going to hear that. And they're going to say, oh, well, men's brains are 11% bigger. Tell us in your analysis of 30 years of research. Or 20. Well, she's done 20, but you analyzed 30 years of research. I, yeah. I understand this. I analyzed, like to give you I analyzed the a credit lot of research, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, under, I understand a good old meta-analysis. So in this meta-analysis that you then wrote about, what did you find were the differences? Like, are there any actual differences? Let's just get to the nitty-gritty. Right. So I should uh, preface this by saying I'm looking at differences, for the most part, at the level of MRI. You know, you go in a brain scanner, which is, which is pretty um, low resolution. I mean, we're not looking at the microscopic level. We're not looking at cells. I'm not looking at, at synapses. But um, it's certainly, there's hundreds and hundreds of articles that make claims about sex differences in the brain. But what we found is that most of the differences that are are publicized are all a product of size and not sex. So, for example, um, people with bigger brains have relatively more white matter than gray matter, which means men, on average, have a higher ratio of white matter to gray matter. But men with big heads have the same higher ratio than men with small heads of white matter to gray matter. In other words, um, we see exactly the same differences within sex that we see between sex, which tells us it's not actually a sex difference. It's a size difference. Another difference is connection between the hemispheres is all a function of how big the brain is, not whether you're male or female. So 
All right, we want to know if your brain, if you have a bigger brain or a bigger head, are you just a better person? Are you going to, like, survival the fittest? Will you be smarter and better? No. No. Oh. There is not a good relationship between okay, intelligence so and brain size. No one could use that as an excuse. If your brain is bigger, it doesn't mean no. you're better. No, although, you know, um, misogynists have been using that for centuries, <laughs> wow. frankly, Yay. to deny women the right to vote and many other things. Well, and I think this really goes to disprove that, Dr. Elliot. I mean, is this what we're, we have to wrap up here, but just in a, in a few brief seconds, what, was that part of your motivation to do this? Um, well, my, my motivation is that I, I want to stick to the real data and, and there's just so much false hype out there. And there's real, there are real ramifications. For example, um, teachers were encouraged to separate their boys and girls for math class or for English class based on alleged claims about brain sex difference. Uh, and, you know, people were going into the schools, educating teachers, you know, boys learn math differently. And it was all just pseudoscience. They were picking random studies and they weren't representing the field as a whole. So um, just a lot of misrepresentation. Well, we appreciate you for being here and for sharing this with us in your work. Uh, that was Lise Elliott, professor of neuroscience from Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science. Thanks again. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. You as well. Wow. Okay. Coming up, twin sisters are sharing one boyfriend. YTLC's new reality show, Extreme Sisters, is getting a lot of attention. Oh, That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A new TLC reality show, Extreme Sisters, is getting a lot of attention. Let me explain why. Well, first, it follows several pairs of ladies who have unusual bonds, quirky codependencies, and it pretty much defies standard sibling behavior. How much does it defy typical sibling behavior? <laughs> well, uh, oh my God. <laughs> these Australian identical twins, they're actually also YouTube influencers. Of course they are. Because of course, right. This would get attention on social uh-huh. media. Uh, they do everything together. They dress alike. They go to the bathroom together. They eat the same food. They also... Drum roll. Have the same boyfriend. Oh, man. Is this like many, many of people are like, this is the luckiest dude ever. I mean, they're two beautiful women. Right. It's a, I mean, I always say, and bless anyone who's in a uh, truffle. Uh-huh. Right. Truffle. Poly- what tru- I said truffle? <laughs> bless anyone who's in a truffle. Well, no, in a, any sort of like polyamorous relationship, yeah, right? I feel like you must have some sort of muscle that I can't even wrap my head around because, uh-huh. because I have a hard enough time maintaining one relationship or the relationship <laughs> with myself, let alone, let's add. And then imagine it's your sister. And listen, these two in particular, so this show talks about like five duos of sisters that all have crazy stories, but these sisters in particular, they weigh their food down to the tenth of an ounce to make sure that they eat the exact same thing so that they have the same figure. They're, they are trying to be identical to the very T. They wear the exact same thing. They use the wear, same makeup, the same tampons. Like They, do they the don't same. share tampons. They don't share yes. tampons, but they... <laughs> Well, oh they, they call each other soulmates, and they said they would marry this guy who, uh, 37-year-old electrician Ben, <laughs> really lighting <laughs> things up over there. I love how we get, we didn't know much, so much about the duo of sisters, but then they're like, oh, we date Ben. Yeah, Ben was the electrician. <laughs> ben from around the corner. Uh, but uh, they would they would marry him, but it's against the law, and they've actually been dating. This isn't like something that's just like a fad just happened. They've been dating for 10 years. This is like a legitimate long-term relationship 
at this point. So, and I'm assuming they do everything together. Like they are, F, they are doing it together. They, they are in yes. bed together. Yes, everything that you're thinking that we can't say on live radio, they do together. We'll just verify that for y'all. Uh, it's pretty wild. I, I, I don't, you know, I feel like we're in a place of non-judgment here. Right? No, of course. Yeah. I mean, good on you, and good on Ben, <laughs> and good on these ladies. They yeah. feel like they're in a very loving relationship. I also learned of a new word through this show, an article about this show, called uh, a quaternary marriage. It's when two identical twins marry each other. Yes. So like a pair. Yeah. So the the twin ladies married the twin brothers Uh and now they're all married. But unlike this other one, they're not doing everything together. They live separate lives. They do separate things. Do you know for sure? Sure. I'm just saying. I'm I'm trusting this reality show. Well, uh, you can check out this show. It's called Extreme Sisters on TLC. Always doing radical things, (laughs) TLC. Aren't they? Coming up on the show, breaking news around Governor Gavin Newsom's recall election that's next on What's Trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show again. Dr. James Simmons is here filling in for Ryan today on Let's Go There. Y mañana. And tomorrow. Y oh, mañana, yes, I love sí. that. Are you fluent in Spanish? So, <laughs> hablas español solamente oh. médico, pero okay. yeah, en otras okay. es muy mal. Yo hablas español un poco. <laughs> I, I went to Spain when I was like right before college, and all I learned was like how to order food and alcohol, basically. Yes. Mucho alcohol, por favor. I, I, I have those down, and if we're in a hospital, we're good. Like I'm flowing with you. But then the second I leave the hospital, it's like it completely leaves my brain. Oh, yeah. Like, no. well, wh- whenever I was in Spain, like I could communicate in French sometimes with the oh. uh, folks that speak Spanish, and we'd speak like a weird <laughs> mix of things together. Like, and somehow. However, it works to order that yeah. beer, Shira. <laughs> It was more than beer, okay? Um, Coming up this hour, sign you have hurry sickness. Mm. What is hurry sickness? That's coming up in 30 minutes. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom has submitted enough verified signatures to qualify for a recall election. That's according to an update from the California Secretary of State's office. Yikes. This is, they were going for, they needed 1.6 plus million signatures and they got them. They've been submitted and verified. A lot of people were wondering, I guess they needed 1.49 million. They got 1.6. A lot of people were wondering if this was even going to happen and it was just announced today that it is. So Gavin Newsom is officially headed for a recall election. Yes, and already Republican candidates are jumping into the race to challenge him. Former San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer has announced his candidacy. San Diego businessman and former gubernatorial candidate John Cox. And as we know, celebrity activist. That's how they're calling her. <laughs> uh, Sorry, should I laugh? <clears throat> Caitlyn Jenner also announced that she's laugh. running. Uh-huh. And... That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Oh, I love that I get to do entertainment news because it's so not my thing, but I love it. I'm going to act like I'm I'm a reporter here on Channel Q, the, the entertainment reporter, the in-house entertainment reporter, about Elon Musk, right? So head of Tesla, and he's become a celebrity in his own right. He has some interesting things coming up, including a very, what some are saying, potentially problematic hosting of SNL this weekend. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, leading up to that, he's saying fun things like, oh, a bunch of people will probably die when humans fly to Mars. So we should probably only ask for volunteers, not have to force people who are like in NASA programs already to have to be the ones that go to Mars because they're going to die. Good to know. Thanks for uh, the <laughs> Thanks, honesty Elon. and transparency right. there. Let's just get the regular people, not the NASA people. <laughs> uh, but I mean, 
Yeah, like, that's a weird moral question. Like, who do you send to Mars if someone's going to die? Like, it, the regular people deserve that more than the credentialed NASA people who are trying to save the world. Well, and there, there may be some. I mean, I feel like this is a setting up for a movie plot, right? There may be some people who are like, I'll go. I know we're probably going to die. And he's right. Like, there's so much more. We've sent rovers, multiple rovers there that do very well. But actually sending people to go to Mars to try to colonize or live there is a complete, categorically different situation. And he's probably right. I think it's the flippancy in which Elon Musk just sort of like goes about being like, oh yeah, people are probably going to die, so we should probably only use volunteers. Does that make you feel like he's a bit like, it's a bit of a narcissist sociopath. I think narcissists are like that a bit, have that blase vibe to them. Mm -hmm. But let's go back to this SNL thing because people have been ripping SNL and Lauren Michaels, the creator of it, apart because of him deciding to do this. Like, this is the same person that brought Donald Trump on as a host and people also canceled Lauren Michaels because of that. They just said, like, this humanized Donald Trump, and you're doing the same thing for Elon Musk, who uh-huh. has been problematic. Yeah, and this this is really, a lot of people are are upset about this. And maybe, I don't know if he's necessarily even as problematic as Donald Trump maybe was before Donald Trump became president, but it does sort of go into that gray area. I think George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, old owner of the Yankees, was one of the only previous ones, like business leaders, to actually host SNL. I feel like it's a pretty coveted spot for people in the entertainment industry who have worked really hard for that. I'm not sure that Elon really aligns to Well, it's like, why? You're just doing it for the ratings, obviously, because it's not like he's a good performer. He's like the most stiff, awkward person. I mean, he's gonna. Miley Cyrus is gonna be the guest musical host, so maybe they'll sing together, and it'll be epic. Well, they'll wear alien outfits or something. Yeah, probably. Who knows? In Malibu. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that, James. Uh, <laughs> I love doing up. the entertainment report. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What's the tea, darling? Uh, coming up, why Michigan's <laughs> COVID wards are filling up with younger patients? Mm. Uh, patients. James, who did the tea report, is gonna move into Doctor James for those answers <clears throat> next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Michigan is currently experiencing the country's most dangerous outbreak, and more younger people are being admitted to hospitals with the coronavirus than at any other time in the pandemic. Michigan hospitals are now admitting about twice as many coronavirus patients in their 30s and 40s as they were during the fall peak. Back with us is James Simmons, who's filling in for Ryan today, who's also known as Dr. James, at Ask the NP on Instagram. So let's get into this, because it's nice to have an expert in studio here versus just calling in. Why is this happening? I thought we're kind of over this part of it. Mm, over the like young people being admitted or or hospital know, like surging. Fact, yeah, like I I don't know. We're obviously living in our own little bubble here in yeah. Los Angeles, but why is this happening in Michigan right now? Well, this this is a story of kind of what's been going on in the country and globally for a really long time during all of COVID. So, you know, in Southern California right now where we are, we're one of the lowest if not the lowest places like per capita in the entire country. But remember, we were the worst place in the world around the first week of January. So, this is sort of how this virus has been working in different pockets. Now, places like Michigan and some of the other Great Lakes states are actually the ones that are surging in the United States right now. And we think that that's multifactorial, probably mostly because of the B117 variant. So that's the most common variant now in the United States, unfortunately. And it is unfortunately 60% more transmissible, so more infectious, and 67% deadlier. And so what's happening is... Our restrictions were like a pause button, if you will, right? We, this is when everyone's staying home, everyone being on lockdown, everyone being on Zoom all day long, having to do all those, those things. It was pausing, giving us enough time to get the vaccines developed, keep the virus at bay. But when you start opening things, 
particularly when you start opening like workplaces, um, places where people gather, that tends to be where younger people are going. And in states like Michigan, most of their vaccinated population are also older. So right there, I've just sort of laid out like three reasons, right? Most of their younger population, under 55 or 50 even, are not vaccinated. But those are the individuals who are going out in public now that their restrictions are opened. But we have a 60% more contagious strain of the virus that is most prevalent in that state. When you add those three factors up, you get into a really, really, really tough situation. Yeah, that's really scary. So what are they going to do about this? Because it seems like if Michigan decides to do another lockdown, I mean, it just feels unrealistic, like because of where the rest of the country is at. Yeah, it does not feel weird. Although I will say that if you think about how restricted places like California were and New York at certain times during the pandemic and other states weren't at all. I think that's just a reality that we have to live in. So there there's we are not a homogenous uh, country in terms of like how this this you know, virus is playing out. So I think it's probably smart that Gretchen Whitmer and some of the other folks in Michigan are starting to shut the state back down a little, uh, quite a bit more. They're starting to shut down more colleges and school types of situations because this is, they're getting to that place where the hospitals are being overwhelmed, just like they were in California, just like they were in New York, El Paso, Texas, parts of Florida, like, you know, Chicago, you can keep going with all of this. And, and those restrictions really, really help while at the same time, we have to continue to vaccinate as many people as possible. And why is it, and maybe I'm wrong, like, but places like Miami, which seems like any, everyone's doing anything they want. I have friends that live there. They're like, oh, it's just like normal, uh-huh. right? Um, and why is it places like Michigan, they're experiencing this, but are they experiencing this in Miami? Or Miami, it's still chill, which I feel like becomes uh, an example of why it's okay to reopen and everyone's just overthinking this. Yeah, it's a it's a really, really tough and nuanced conversation. I mean, if I had those, the... Uh, you know, hard and fast answer to that, like I'd be a billionaire, right? Because I would have gotten us out of the pandemic. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I think that there is a couple of things going on. Unfortunately, and, you know, I don't know him, of course, but Ron DeSantis um, is being investigated for having his uh, administration underreport numbers in Florida. Um, And so there's some question sometimes about are the numbers that are actually coming out really real? There are some other thoughts in the scientific and medical community right now that other pockets of the country might actually be much closer to herd immunity than we had realized before because so many people had gotten infected and then everyone else got caught up with the vaccine, which is probably the case in some counties and here in California, other parts of like even Illinois and some other parts of the country. In Florida, they were really... Uh a big with the vaccines too. I mean, yes, yeah. So, a lot of people so are getting the, it quickly. the other side of that, yeah, DeSantis's or uh, administration was really great about rolling out the for vaccine, better or worse, for better or worse. So, you know, there's no really hard and fast explanation as to why these things are happening. Um, in some places and not necessarily in the others, but we know that this combination of easing of restrictions, not enough people vaccinated at certain ages, people going out in public again, you know, into the workplaces, things like that, and this really, really tough B117 uh, virus means we are definitely not out of this pandemic yet. I don't want anyone to think that. Please. <laughs> don't take things for granted. No. Nope. Right? It's very true. Just be aware. Be yeah. careful. It's not going to be that much longer. And we can see the light. Yes. But if, if we, the light's going to go further away if we don't all just like, you know, mind, mind our P's and Q's for a little while. And look what's happening. Uh, this is extreme. We're not going to get into this. We should talk about it on tomorrow's show. What's happening in India is just oh horrifying. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, coming up on the show, signs you're dealing with hurry sickness and what to do about it because 
one of you listening deals with this, including, I mean, we've talked about how yeah. we, we feel like we're, we deal sure. with this. That's next. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Are you dealing with hurry sickness? We've got the <laughs> six signs that you might be dealing with it and what to do about it. Because this is something that is impacting a it, lot of our lives. I think so. I really, you know, when I first saw this, sure, I was like, okay, I, what is hurry sickness? Like someone else is just giving another name or something to to something. But then when you go through these six signs of sort of like diagnosing yourself with what hurry sickness might be, I was, what do the kids say these days? I felt seen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm this like, is me. Here it goes. Yeah. I actually, when you say hurry sickness, I keep thinking about hairy sickness. Yes. But it's I mean, not that. No, I'm definitely not hairy. I mean, that, that's okay if you have hairy sickness. But we do have these sort of six signs of what hurry, H-U-R-R-Y, sickness looks like. And I, I think we should go backwards on this one. You know, one of the things that I told myself I was going to give up during COVID was being obsessed with checking things off of a to-do list. Is this you, Shira? I, I am obsessed with that. And I've told people that the reason why I get anxious is because if something isn't checked off, if I know that it's, I'm not sure it's going to get done, mm-hmm. it's going to be on my mind. So I need to like either give it to you and I need your confirmation that you're getting it done or <laughs> I need to get it done. Uh-huh. Yep. So part of hurry sickness is that you're obsessed with checking things off your to-do list. Absolutely. And that you get, there's actually a little bit of science behind this. You get like a tiny, tiny little bit of a high from literally checking that off, but obviously it doesn't last very long. It, it, goes off, right? And then you need to move on to checking something else off. But interestingly, um, productivity experts say that having this long list of things and then so that you can check things off actually does not make you more productive, which adds to the hurry sickness. Yeah. I know. I mean, I I know they say that if you write a list down, like of all the things you need to do the next day, usually take like half that list and throw it out because you're (laughs) only going to really get the first like three things done. Right. You're definitely not, not getting to them. This one, I would like to say that of the six in this list, I do not do Shira. I think anyway. Maybe I mean in radio we kind of do this, but you interrupt or talk <laughs> over people. Number five that you have hurry sickness. Shira is leaning backwards, laughing away from the microphone because I think she's trying not to interrupt me. <laughs> Compassionate listening. All right. No. So I get very passionate about things and excited, but I've noticed as I've gotten older and more mindful, and because I have people that I love around me that I trust and feel comfortable telling me, I know that I tend to interrupt people, right? But I, which makes me feel like, yeah, I'm impatient. Mm. I'm scared them to forget what I'm going to say, which is strange. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a lack of trust in trying to control the conversation too. Uh, there, there could be. There also, it's, these are cultural differences too. Have you seen that video on TikTok that went viral? That this woman, she was talking. She's Jewish. She's from New York, and she said that that's in, true. Too. In her, isn't that great? That in her culture, interrupting actually shows a sign of engagement. It's like a sign of respect. So I was talking about this with my boyfriend. He goes, "I think it's also just like to be clear, sure, you're a Jew. Like Jews talk <laughs> over each other. And that, like you're like." Ah, Culturally, it's a sign that I'm listening. Italian, too. Exactly. Whereas, like, my little, you know, I I sort of grew up, like, Midwestern, Protestant, whatever. Like, no, you're very polite. You're calm. You don't raise your voice. And then you wait for someone to finish. Pause. And then you jump in. So, if you talk or interrupt over people, depending on what culture you're from, that can be a sign of hurry sickness. This one is definitely me. It's why I'm always 15 minutes late for everything. I feel perpetually (laughs) behind schedule. Uh, so if you're dealing with hurry sickness, 
this is a thing that you might be doing. There's never <laughs> sure. enough hours in the day to accomplish what you need to. And even when you feel like you're running on time, you're not, yep. which is me. Also, I, I, I want to be present in the moment with the things I'm doing, and then ultimately I'll be running late. Uh-huh. And I, I like to throw that up to the, I'm late because I was so present in what I was Me doing. That's such an excuse. That I lost track of time. But now, unfortunately, this little article is telling us, Shira, that we both just <clears throat> have hurry sickness. Yes. Whatever that uh, means. And um, <laughs> number three, you get irritable when encountering a delay. Mm. This is, yes, hard for me. Because we're always late. Um, that and which is ironic because I'm running late, but yet when other people are running late with me, not actually physically running late, but if it's like a job or something I need to deliver on time, and I'm very like I I'm in integrity with my work, and if it's something I can't control, and this goes back to control. Mm. It's like I'm relying on you to do this. Mm-hmm. I could be late, but that was on me. <laughs> but if you're doing it, you're you know busting in on my style uh-huh and you get highly irritable about that yes. right uh-huh there's something about type a personalities in here with this hurry sickness so the other thing too that this is really really bad and productivity experts tell you that this is the worst thing to do you find it impossible to do just one task at a time i quite literally feel like I am not maximizing my time and effort if I'm not doing two things at the same time. I'm the guy who will respond to emails while I'm on the toilet, like while I'm on the Peloton, I'm taking phone calls, like I'm doing all of those things. It's a little bit too much. All right. Well, we'll tell you the number one uh, thing you might be doing that is making you be a hurry sickness sickness person (laughs) next and what to do about, about it. Stick around for that after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Okay, we've been talking about the signs that you're dealing with hurry sickness. And unfortunately, a lot of us are, I think. We've acknowledged that in the same Okay, whatever, Shira. Just we need to like move on. Okay, like chop, chop, chop. Yeah, that is one one of of the signs. And I just interrupted you. You interrupted me. We're Uh just constantly interrupting each other. Yeah, but it's... Sign, interruption. We need to like speed it up. It's a race. Yeah. You find it impossible to do just one task at a time. We talked about that. You get irritated when getting into delays... Are you the one who's beeping people on the street when <clears throat> you just stop for a moment? Do you? Are you a beeper? Um, See, I'm not. That's the one so... thing. I'm not. Like, I'll <laughs> breathe through it. Because it's just, that's so mean. I hate that. Is do like, you? Yeah. I'm that guy. You're totally going to hate me as a driver. I don't do it uh, really terribly often, but I think if someone deserves it. But it's almost more <laughs> of like, if I don't get this out, if I don't honk, then it builds up and then I get, I get like road ragey. Wow, maybe you have yeah. to put that somewhere else. I know. I, I put it into my horn, and then it goes away. <laughs> and then it's fine. <laughs> and then, do you, do you think it helps the person in front of you? Maybe it's dumb. Sure does, because they need to learn how to drive better. So, the number one <laughs> sign that you're dealing with hurry sickness is you treat everything, as you mentioned right just now, uh, you treat everything like a race. Yeah, I think this is really, this is probably why I honk at people when I'm driving, because I do feel like I'm in a go-kart race when I'm driving, like... On the 101, it doesn't matter. Like, we're just all trying to get where we're going. No, I'm, like, in a race, like, trying to get there. Probably because I'm late. Probably because I had too many things on my to-do list, right? All of these things that we talked about were hurry sickness. Um, So treating everything like it's a race. Like, it's one thing to be sort of, like, driven or whatever, but being, like, hyper-competitive about everything that's going on in your life. Even the small, like everyday tasks like shopping or like eating or all these things if you're constantly treating them like a race then any delays cause this anxiety and these not getting things on your list because you're competing with yourself like all of that that's why it's kind of like the number one thing that will signal if you have this hurry sickness no it's funny my my boyfriend was cleaning something this weekend and i went and checked 
up on him and I was like, oh, it looks like you need to clean this area too. He's like, are you micromanaging <laughs> how I'm cleaning? Yes, you are. Right? So I, I think this is important uh, because this is something a lot of us deal with and it's important to be aware of it because it's definitely impacting you and your relationship. So how to deal with this. We're not going to just call you out right now. We want to help you out too and I want to help myself out. Hey, why not? I love it. Um, consider what's truly time sensitive and what can wait. Yep. And That's th- one way. This is really good. I think that that list that you make every night before you go to bed, which is a really great suggestion, then in the morning, know that half of that's going to get thrown away and prioritize that list, right? And I, take the word priority and realize that there is one. The, the actual definition of the word priority is one. The one thing you need to get done. Multiple priorities is actually an oxymoron, right? There's just one. So figure out what that one priority is and do that and then move on to the next one. And speaking of which, create an evening routine. That's really helped me because then I could look at what's coming up for the day and kind of get into the mindset of like what actually is important? What do I need to do? What do I need to focus on? Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, waking up uh, at the time where I, that I shouldn't be waking up at and then being surprised why I'm running late right. and I'm having to hurry and everything like, and rush everything. I haven't set myself up for success. Mm-hmm. It right? really works. And it can really help people sleep, which I think a lot of this, as the medical professional here, I'm going to tell you that the, the number one way that this really impacts you is it really impacts people's sleep. And we know that if you are not getting good long enough or good enough quality of sleep, it impacts every single thing else in your life, including making you actually sick. Not just a made-up sickness like hurry sickness, but actually leading to things like uh, um, weight gain, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, all of those things. Sleep is so, so important. So knock these things out, get them handled so you can get good sleep. And let's all slow down together because we deserve it. (sighs) Namaste. Okay, coming up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> How South Africa is creating changes for the LGBTQ plus community. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, we are celebrating Lesbian Visibility Day today with the co-founder of the Curve Foundation. That's in 30 minutes. Lots to celebrate today. Uh, but first, let's get into somewhat trending this hour because we definitely want to talk about this. A uh, state of emergency has been declared for Elizabeth City. As of this morning, city officials are asking for the public release of the body camera footage worn during the deputy-involved fatal shooting of Andrew Brown Jr. Brown. Um, Andrew Brown Jr., sorry. Brown, who was shot on April 21st when deputies were serving a search warrant, is now causing possibly a lot of civil unrest within the city limits. A lot of people are saying this will even get worse when the video is released. And they are declaring a state of emergency that's allowing all state and federal resources to be ready to protect the citizens of Elizabeth City. And just to sort of clarify, you know, 20 seconds of the video was released earlier. That's it. And so there are actually protests going on right now already because they're talking about why wasn't, if this is minutes and minutes long, why was none of the video actually released, the, the full video released? If there's nothing to hide, why not release the whole video? So people are already protesting over the fact that only 20 minutes of this were released and the family and the lawyers for the family are calling it, that 20 seconds, a full-on execution. Ugh. And that's in North Carolina, by the way, Elizabeth City. Really tragic. Now, uh, we mentioned South Africa is doing a lot for the LGBTQ plus community. Well, in a first for a nation in Africa, South Africa is vowing to recognize different gender identities and accept a third gender option on national identity identity documents. According to Quartz Africa, around 530,000 South Africans identify as non-binary, but haven't had the option of having that 
reflect on their documents. So this is really important and great news. This is fantastic news, and there's a, some sort of like kind of apartheid racial connections to this as well. You know, South Africans were all given a, a national ID number, sort of like our social security number, but that national ID number was often used to stratify and segment people because racial data was connected to it. So、yeah. they could treat people differently if your national ID number had certain numbers in it. It signified that you were black versus white, and then you got treated differently. Well, now they've taken the racial data out of that, but what they have added in, interestingly, now is this. Third gender and or individuals to identify as either non-binary or transgender, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, we love that. So early as queen to South Africa for that.、Yeah. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in the T report, James? Oh boy! All right. So I've been on a little bit of Oscars kick today since I am Channel Q's resident entertainment reporter. Yep, <laughs> that's my new job today. Tyler Perry was another moment. His speech、uh, during the Oscars was another moment that went sort of viral and caused a lot of people to say, "Really, Tyler?" Kind of interesting. Take a listen. Refuse to hate someone because they are Mexican or because they are black or white or LBGTQ. I refuse to hate someone because they are a police officer. I refuse to hate someone because they are Asian. I would hope that we would refuse hate. And I want to take this Gene Herschel humanitarian award and dedicate it to anyone. So interestingly, you know, you heard Tyler was、uh, was accepting the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award, which is given out every Oscars. And listen, Tyler has done a lot of those th- wonderful, fantastic things for the industry and for a lot of individuals. And this is one of those situations where my favorite phrase coming out of 2020: multiple truths can exist simultaneously. Tyler Perry can deserve this award, do a lot of really fantastic things for people. He fed a lot of people. He's paid for a lot of people's college graduations.、Oh, yeah. He does amazing things, and also. Do some sort of problematic things. Like I love how he gets up there and says, "I'm not going to hate you for being Mexican or Asian or, as he put it, LBGTQ." Yeah, he, got, he got that wrong. Got there, a little he, backwards. We know the intention. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not hating、there. on him for that at all. What I am hating on is you say these things, but then it's not reflected in the art that you produce, in the、mm. movies that you produce. He has had some very. Very problematic, racist, homophobic, certainly transphobic storylines in his movies and in his TV shows that continue. So, I, while I loved I, and I love Tyler Perry movies, trust me, my husband is goes to the opening of every Medea movie. Like I give, have given Tyler Perry money, we all have. He does great things, but also I need to see that reflected in what he produces. And hopefully, he'll start doing that. I think there is a reckoning coming in terms of how people like what they think and wh- what they want to put out there in the world and what they're producing. Absolutely. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the day. Yaz Queen. There you go. <laughs> no one can do it like Ryan. Sorry, babe. I tried. I tried. So the 29th annual Elton John AIDS Foundation Oscar party happened last night. You know, it usually happens in person. It's like the party of the Oscars. They did it virtually this year.、Mm-hmm. We are staying safe, and they still raised millions for the cause, which is awesome. At、uh, three million dollars, to be exact, which is I think phenomenal that they were able to raise this much money、mm-hmm. for Elton John's AIDS Foundation on the 29th annual virtual, and this one was virtual, of course.、Uh, what I also love about this is that Neil Patrick Harris. Hosted, Lady、Cute. Gaga was there. Yep, Cynthia Erivo, the entire cast from the show. It's a sin, which is fantastic on HBO Max if you haven't seen it. And Shara, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it. Yeah, it is at nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents. Just go to Ticketmaster dot com. It's a sixty minute、uh, party. 
you know, whatever you're experiencing it there or now in the future. And also what was so much fun, I love some Dua Lipa. She performed singing Levitating, Don't Start Now, Pretty Please, Hallucinate, some amazing songs that even we even play here on Channel Q, and even joined John for a duet of Benny and the Jets and her song Love Again. Benny and Jets. Yes, so good. I'm not supposed to sing, probably, for multiple reasons on the radio. But, uh, you know, this money will go to a good cause, of course, supporting young people at risk and for those who are already living with HIV. And this is a global foundation worldwide. So Elton John for sure gets our, yeah! No, let me try again. Yes, Queen. Okay. Now, was that okay. all right? <laughs> if you want to nominate someone for our Yes Queen of the Day or just, you know, recommend a story that we can cover on the show, slide into our DMs at LGT Shows where you can find us on social media. We are back tomorrow weekdays here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern, live on tomorrow's show. We're going to be talking about the survey that reveals more about this generation of trans youth than ever before and good things, plus the repercussions of the 2026 census and how it can impact you. That's on tomorrow's show. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews and you want to catch up, we post everything as a podcast. So just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. (laughs) Download that podcast, please, if you miss anything. I think tomorrow, Shira, we might be talking also about technology and condoms. I bet you never thought you put those two words together. (laughs) I mean, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Uh, So... Yeah, as we'd like to wrap up the show, we are sending you love and light. Mm. Oh, well, thank you very much. It is received. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, not just to me. You mean to the listeners. (laughs) To everyone. (laughs) To everyone. Love and light to everyone. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. And stick around for Loveline, where Dr. Chris is covering how to create the best date night. Mm. Yes, that's next.